Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me talking Michigan, Michigan State. The Spartans took down the Wolverines 37-33, to overcame uh, multiple double-digit deficits, a 10-0 one early on, and then a 30-14 to deficit in the uh, about midway through the third quarter we're gonna split this episode up in the first half we'll we'll talk about some of the key things that stood out to us on the offensive side of the ball in the second half we'll look at the some of the key things that stood out to us on the defensive side of the ball we obviously will have an indiana preview episode for those curious about what's next that will come out either wednesday evening or thursday morning check out all of our Written content over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. I've already got stories on, well, what the players had to say after the game and, and kind of talking about the season not being over. I had my two-minute drill with some of the key uh, you know, takeaways and observations, story on the red zone, story on the defense. And uh, you know, there'll be plenty more after press conferences with Jim Harbaugh, Andrew Anthony, Mike Sainer still, Mike Morris today. Anyway, Steve, uh, I guess we'll talk about the one positive first, not necessarily by design, but that is, you know, if you, if you progress through the, I guess the box score of the game, the first thing that jumps out to me on Michigan's side was the 383 passing yards from Cade McNamara, 400 overall passing yards, 407, I believe with three touchdowns, JJ McCarthy had a couple good passes too. Uh, Andrea Anthony, Entered Saturday without a single catch. We talked about his growing role. I don't think we could have. I don't. We would have sounded ridiculous if we'd predicted six catches, 155 yards, and two touchdowns. But but he's really looked like Michigan's number one wide wide receiver on Saturday, and the snap counts uh, indicate that was the case. He played 76 of 83 overall. This passing game, to me, you know, we were kind of joking before, and we're not. We're not here to make fans feel better. We're not here to make fans feel worse. We're here to kind of offer our thoughts on the team. But the weird silver lining of, of Saturday's game, because obviously the loss puts Michigan in a true, you know, no margin for error the rest of the way, at least in terms of contending for the Big Ten title or, or trying to make the college football playoff. Uh, they really they can't lose again. They have to beat Ohio State. They have to beat Penn State, so on. and, and, and you could argue they might need a little bit of help from, from Michigan State to lose, uh, at least in terms of the Big Ten. But the weird thing is I, I actually came away from Saturday's game relatively confident in Michigan's ceiling, and, and to me it's because they found a passing game. You knew Michigan State, especially uh, with Drew Beasley back and, and their, their defensive front, you knew they were going to s- slow down Michigan's run game. Got slowed down maybe more than Michigan fans had hoped, but you knew they you knew Michigan wasn't going to run for 250 plus yards or anything like that. You knew there was going to have to be more of a passing game, and Michigan got it. 
you know, I thought Cade McNamara made really good decisions. I thought he made really sharp throws at times. There were, of course, some misses. I believe Michigan was uh, credited by Pro Football Focus for four dropped passes as well. So, so there's still work to be done. But 400 yards against the top 10 team, usually you like you like that. To, you know, if Michigan threw for 400 yards against the top 10 team on the road, you'd like that Michigan's chances of winning. They didn't win. We'll talk about the rest of, that went wrong in a moment, but. This passing game with with Anthony's emergence, I assume at some point here Roman Wilson's going to become more involved, uh, you know, because because of his improving health. I suppose Eric All had a career game, almost had a hundred yards receiving. I think this passing game is is starting to hit its stride in a similar way to what we saw toward the end of the 2019 season. Obviously, in 2019, they didn't have much of a run game to counter it. But now, suddenly, I mean, this is looking like a truly high-potential offense that maybe raises Michigan's ceiling just a little bit, at least on that side of the ball. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think it has to. I mean, the thing about – so, Anthony, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a player come out in a game – and I'm, I'm saying, like, any player – come out in a game and, and – completely not look like a guy who had never had a career catch uh even take away the 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 long touchdown uh everything looked smooth and and natural for him out there and I think you could argue just off of one game uh he might be he's got to be Michigan's number one guy at receiver going forward um I would I I would make him that I mean I mean holy cow yeah so you know, he, he did a couple things that we haven't seen a Michigan receiver do in a while. He, he left everybody in the dust and he high pointed the ball in the end zone, in the red zone. I mean, Nico Collins is obviously a guy that did that quite a bit, but you know, just he really in a, in a way showcased an all around game. You know, you talk about the, the breakaway speed, making a play in the red zone. And then again, just sort of your basic in a good way, like coming back and catching the ball, like a low throw, coming back and making the catch, uh, simple out route to the outside for a first down, like just showed an all around ability that I think Michigan fans, again, like you said, we're not here to make anybody feel better. And it's a loss that's going to sting uh, just for the way the game played out. But this is one of the few times I can remember Michigan getting beat and coming out of the game with any kind of, you know, there are some things out of this game that, like you said, could really and should really help them uh, for the remainder of the season. So, yeah, Andrew Anthony, big breakout game. We've been kind of talking about it for the last couple weeks. I know I brought it up a few times. And then uh, Eric All was another guy that I think we were specifically asked about in the over-unders. Uh, I had taken the over because I felt like he's another guy who's been slowly emerging. You know, Anthony Trending a little bit. Up, yeah. yeah, Anthony – his was more based off of that end around last week where it just, you could see the athleticism, uh, you know, that play could have been like a 12 or 13 yard loss. He turned into a six, seven yard gain. It was like, that guy's got a different gear for a guy, his size got to think Michigan, maybe try to get him involved knowing Roman Wilson, probably not going to be a hundred percent. And uh, he did. So yeah, all of a sudden, you know, and much credit due to, to Cade McNamara, because that's the other thing I posted this morning. He's, Weirdly played his three best games were in the three toughest environments that Michigan's been in. He played really good against Wisconsin, uh, had some missed opportunities against Wisconsin, but still played efficient, made some good throws, 
you know, led Michigan to a win and played really, you know, outside of the one turnover against Nebraska, I thought played pretty solid and, and, and really helped Michigan win that game too. Basically he's been the, a bigger asset in their road games uh, than he has in some of the other ones. So, you know, I thought he made a handful of really like difficult throws on Saturday, put some, put the ball into some tight windows and, you know, again, not even in the top 10 reasons why Michigan did not win this game on Saturday. Like you said, if, if you'd have looked at the box score on Sunday, not knowing the outcome of the game and, and saw that McNamara threw for 383 yards, uh, I think you would have thought Michigan would not only have won, but would have won relatively easily. So, you know, disappointing in that the offense didn't quite do enough to get the job done, but I do agree. I think there are some real positive signs for them going forward. Yeah. Cause you said, I don't, we'll see if, if anybody else, who else they face can slow down the running game. Like, like Michigan state did. We know Penn state, Ohio state will be tough up mm-hmm. front, but our biggest thing all year has been Michigan has run the ball so well. That was, it was a surprise that they weren't able to throw the ball more effectively and, and more easily. Now it looks like they they maybe can push and pull a little bit more offensively, and, and really it should raise the ceiling for everybody. Yeah, it's it's something to continue to monitor. I mean, one has to think if they throw for 400 yards against Michigan State, they'll, they'll, they could throw for 250-plus against some other Big Ten teams. And I think it's necessary. You mentioned you don't know who's going to stop the run like Michigan State. I think Penn State will. I do. I mean, their defensive line um, – you know, they've had some injuries, but they look pretty stout uh, up front. And and so I, you know, I think the run game, I want to talk about that in just a second. But, um, you know, I think they are going to need a passing game, at least a, at least a believable one, right? You know, I think Eric All's emergence is so big because I think it's been a while since. I mean, you know, with no disrespect to Nick Eubanks, Sean McCune, and Zach Gentry, all of whom are either on NFL rosters or, or not too far from it. I think it's been a while since there's been a 100 yard threat at tight end. And I think, um, you know, when teams are trying to stack the box, but also defend the deep pass, that tight end can be really critical in just making, making the defense think a little bit harder about how they want to, how they want to defend the Wolverines. Anthony, totally with you. I think if Wilson comes back, he probably has a good case too, but, um, the way he fight, the way Anthony fights for footballs, so that's, I think I've been spending a lot of podcast time talking about how I'm underwhelmed by the receivers so far this season. Uh, it certainly made it into my writing about, you got to fight for some of these passes. You got to fight for leverage. You have to improvise, just find a way to get open sometimes because the route that's drawn isn't always going to, uh, isn't always going to produce the result that you want. So that's what Ronnie Bell does so well is he breaks routes he fights for footballs. Um, he just finds a way to get open and make sure that his quarterback can see him too. So I think Anthony does a lot of that. And I think he should be Michigan's number one receiver moving forward. If Cornelius Johnson steps up, good for him. If, if Roman Wilson steps up, you know, those are, those are two players who I think could reemerge as the number one wide receiver. But right now, Anthony, Anthony's making plays we haven't seen too many receivers make under Jim Harbaugh. I mean, I don't want to say he's the, it's been one game, right. But 155 yards, that's, that's a, that's a number that isn't just, I mean, against a top 10 team too. It's not, 
it's not like fake or anything. He's he's very much legit. So anyway, the, the part about Michigan's offense that obviously did not work on Saturday, and, and we'll talk about the red zones too, but I, but the run blocking, this has been something that has kind of crept its way into some of our talking points about Michigan, you know, heading into the matchup. I, I want to say they were viewed by pro football focus as outside the top like 40 in run blocking. I think they're even outside the top 50 in run blocking heading into this matchup. So it was already a little bit of a concern point. I don't think Hassan Haskins and Blake Corm had their best games either, but, but Steve, how, how concerned are you with how well Michigan state was able to slow down Michigan's rushing attack? And, and it certainly seemed to play a big role in red zone situations, but you know, when, when Michigan's trying to ice this game out and just really not getting much in running the ball and suddenly it's third and long and they, they have to pass and it's a, you know, it's an incompletion that stops the clock. I mean, there, how, how concerned are you that this is now for as good as Michigan's rushing attack is three big 10 teams have now held them below 150 rushing yards in a game. It, I don't, it'll only be a concern in my opinion if the, if they if the passing game regresses again the next time they're in a big game situation um we knew that like you said i think michigan state was going to sell out on the run all day and i think what was interesting is they never really kind of went away from that even as michigan was able to kind of consistently throw the ball down the field you know it was it was really another instance in this game, like of Michigan state almost kind of continuing to play with fire uh, and it ended up paying off, you know, I, I, Haskins minimal quorum had a rough game just all around, you know, you talk about the drop pass, which I mean, that could be on replay one missed tackle, a, a missed tackle away from being a touchdown and then uh, the fumble. So I don't know. I mean, I, teams are going to have to respect their ability to pass, I think, a little bit more. But I do think – I think Michigan is still, by and large, is are they're going to have to earn that still. I, I think this is one game where Michigan was able to throw the ball, but I still think teams are going to uh, look at slowing down that run game first and making – they're going to try to make Michigan beat them the way that they, that Michigan State tried to make Michigan beat them. Uh, so, little concerning. You know, I think – like you said, I think there were some cracks in that armor before this game. But our big thing with Michigan's running game was, can they do enough to open it up for the passing game? I, I still have confidence they can do that in their next in their last couple of big games, not to downplay Indiana and Maryland at all, but uh, – you know, Penn State, Ohio State, obviously the two big ones remaining on the schedule. So I think that's really going to be the question for them going forward. Can they, will they be able to run the ball effectively enough to keep defenses honest, you know, and, and let them maybe continue to try to throw the ball down the field? I think that is, I, I think if I were a team defending Michigan, I would still focus on stopping the run. And, and for those curious, Ohio State is number 11 nationally in rushing yards per carry allowed this season I don't think they've played a uh, too many super good rushing attacks I think you know Penn State is not known for their run game this season uh, Minnesota is but they got them in in week one and 
Um, but still, they're a top-tier run defense. Penn State's around 40th, so maybe Michigan could have a little success. I do think you know, that Maryland game will be one where Michigan should be able to count on, let's say, 220-plus rushing yards. But, yeah, Indiana, Ohio State, Penn State, all probably going to still try to stop the run and, and hope that the passing game was a fluke on Saturday. I don't think it was fully a fluke, but I also don't – I think the body of work of the whole season suggests they're not going to throw for 400 yards every game. So – going to be interesting Steve there were a couple other things with the offense and I think the big thing for me was the the points that are being left on the field this is not new it happened against Nebraska it happened against Northwestern but Michigan four red zone trips that resulted in field goals Michigan now leads the country in red zone field goals which is not compliments to Jake Moody for for making them but also that's a lot of times where they could have scored a touchdown in theory we've talked all season about the offensive line um you know how big it is how how it's you know kind of experienced they should be able to create some push they have the running backs and they have the speed at receiver so it's 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 a, still a little surprising that they're struggling so much they're 83rd nationally in red zone touchdown percentage at 56% in big 10 play. That's only 46%. So to me, that's, that's the main other thing from this offense is, you know, you talk about the drop pass. Yeah. You know, there's some plays can happen. You're not going to score a touchdown every time you touch the ball, but it just felt like once they got to the red zone, there were some mistakes, some dumb penalties, obviously, McCarthy's fumble that he eventually recovered. You know, there were, there were a couple drive killing mistakes, but it also just the lack of execution, I think should be of major concern for the Wolverines moving forward, you know, because that's players have talked about earlier this season. That's a situation where they just need to want it more. Well, I, I have to think they wanted it as much as possible against Michigan state, but they, the execution wasn't there. Where do you sit with this red zone offense? And then are, was there anything else that stood out to you or concerned you about Michigan's offensive performance against the Spartans? No, not, not nothing that really concerned me too much. I actually, if the one thing in the red zone, I think maybe, maybe we should be seeing a little more JJ McCarthy in the red zone. I like the velocity on some of his red zone passes. Right? I think that's, that's a good way to beat the condensed coverage. And just that, that extra little bit of athleticism and, and ability mm-hmm. to, to maneuver out of the pocket and, and make defenses have to think a little bit more. You know, I think, I think that is a situation because here's the thing, no issue with how they utilized both of those guys on Saturday with, with, with when they utilized McCarthy and in what situations I thought it made complete sense. And I still think they've done it. They've played it the right way all year long. I think now though, seeing, more missed opportunities in the red zone, which as you said, I mean, we've talked about that how many times now uh, might be, that might be an area where you might want to inject McCarthy in a little more often and a little bit sooner, you know, because it is, it's going to have to force the defense to respect something else a little bit more. So that was one thing. Yeah. I mean, one area I thought maybe, you know, we maybe we'll see Michigan keep going with that going forward, but 
Otherwise, it's it's you know again it, it. I'd say the game played out the way we thought, but it didn't. I mean, and just in that, I think Michigan's offense actually performed a lot better in this game than maybe we would have anticipated. Because as you said, I think we knew Michigan State would sell out to stop the run. Uh, they were mostly successful, but Michigan answered that offensively for the most part. There were there were missed opportunities, but there's going to be missed opportunities in big games. Uh, not every opportunity is capitalized upon. I got to I got to think thirty three points on the road against a top five, top ten team. You know, more often than not, it's going to be enough to to get it done. But it wasn't. So not a perfect performance. Not even close. But you know, like I said, I, I think Michigan answered what Michigan State was going to was throwing at them, and it just it just didn't turn out to be enough. So. Yeah, I, I mostly agree in that what what Michigan's offense did on Saturday was theoretically should have been enough. I don't I don't really pin the loss too much on the offense performance. The only thing I would say is is five hundred and fifty two yards of offense, six point seven yards per play. That those numbers should equate to closer to forty points. Just statistically, I mean you look around all of football, there isn't a team in the country averaging five hundred and fifty two yards of offense this season. And, and I, I think there's very few teams in the country, maybe like five or six that are averaging 27 first downs and 6.7 yards per play. That's a top 10 figure. So in theory, I mean, I think in an an average game, I'd be curious teams that get that many yards, that many yards per play, that many first downs, they score more points. They're closer. They're in the forties. I think more often than not. And and maybe I'll do a little research to back that up, but but that's just observing box scores in some of these games over the years. I, I think there was a path for Michigan to be closer to 40 points based on how they played, based on how they threw the ball. And and that's where that's where 33 doesn't look so good. So um anyways, with that, we'll switch over to the defensive side of the ball after this quick break. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So as we alluded to before in this episode, probably pinning a lot more of this defeat on the defense. And and the thing that maybe is the biggest head scratcher from this game in terms of Michigan's play is Kenneth Walker, 195 yards, five touchdowns, no Michigan opponent has ever scored five touchdowns on the Wolverines 
rushing the ball. It's it's a head scratcher because entering the game, he was considered a Heisman front runner, not front runner necessarily, but like in that top four or five players in the country. And there were lots of quotes entering the game about stopping Kenneth Walker. And I think in some areas they did. He had four, 126 of his yards came on four carries. So that would suggest that the other 20 or so carries weren't amazing. I mean, they did, they did slow him down at times, but those numbers speak for themselves. You saw the missed tackles. You saw how they struggled with, with Walker's cutbacks, uh, with some of the misdirection Michigan State was doing. And then on rewatch, I noticed a bit of a, of a trend on, on the pursuit angles. Some of the defensive backs were taking. It's, it's haven't really had much to criticize about the safeties play this season. But but some of those angles really felt like Walker probably could have been tackled at different times. And he's a tough back to bring down. I mean, with the with the strength that he plays with and, and but also the speed and the vision. I mean, he he's the number one running back in the country for a reason. Steve, what what uh how concerning because Michigan plays a couple decent running backs. <laughs> Travion Henderson's obviously the the big one. How concerning was how Michigan's defense, even though they, they knew very well who Walker was, didn't, didn't really stop him, or, or he honestly maybe had his best game of the season against the Wolverines. Uh, yeah, concerning because Michigan State's passing attack didn't really do a ton in this game. Uh, you know, he showcased an array of abilities, though, that a lot of guys in college football don't have. I mean, you have the uh, the bounce back on the on the I don't know, was the first or second touchdown right into the pile. Look like a dead play. You know, so the guys like that, like, you know, great running backs can create yardage. And he pretty much created that entire touchdown. Uh, the other long hundred hundred and sixty three yards after contact. Right. For those curious, the other one was just a no hesitation through the hole, of which it did on re, on replay did not look like a huge hole to run through. I, I think he just saw a little bit of daylight and just exploded through there. So now I think I think this is more of a tip your cap type performance, although albeit. Two of the touchdowns were while they were in the midst of the substitution situation. I mean, you could argue the substitution situation cost them 14 points in this game. So, so there is that. But as far as Walker's overall ability and, and what he showed on Saturday, I, I, I think it's more of a tip-your-cap type performance. He's a great player and showed up in a big way in a big game. Uh, you know, I, I – it was impressive. I'm interested to see what his NFL prospects look like. Cause he looks like a guy that could succeed at the next level for sure. So um, got to think he's one of the not top two or three candidates for the Heisman. I think this cements him into New York, I would think, unless he completely is shut down by Penn state and Ohio state. Uh, but this probably puts him in New York and uh, yeah, no, it's just a t- to me, it was a tip your cap performance. And, and yeah, I mean, 
it exposed some stuff that like, I think we had talked a little bit before, you know, the mishap there, there again, I don't think the interior of the defensive line played particularly well. Uh, didn't play like badly necessarily, but they, they it didn't really, they didn't really have much of an impact on the game. And, and I agree too many missed tackles, but I feel like in a lot of those situations that guys getting to the point fast enough or, or getting there, it just, it puts a lot of pressure on one-on-one tackling and, and he's a guy in open space. I think more often than not is going to, is going to win those, but uh yeah, no, and Travion Henderson might be more talented, probably is more talented, honestly, just set up from a a base, from a foundation standpoint. I mean, he's he's on pace to set a bunch of Ohio State freshman records. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not as if they don't have another guy like this on the schedule still. So it's concerning in that regard that they're going to be playing another elite talent because I think you could argue that Walker and Henderson are the two best running backs in college football right now. And uh, so it's concerning from that standpoint, but I mean, I guess if you're Michigan, you, it, you, you've already kind of, you've seen a guy, you know, so maybe you, you're, you're more prepared again the next time you take on an elite guy like that. I don't know, but you know, overall, like I said, I give more credit to Walker than I do uh, making it a Michigan thing. I just think a, a great player showed up in a big game and, and, and made some plays. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. My only th- my only response is that, you know, Michigan, he's not the only good player Michigan's going to play. And he's not the only good player that has torched Michigan before. It's a totally new defense. But, I mean, think about the games Jonathan Taylor had against Michigan, uh, Zeke Elliott, uh, Saquon Barkley, J.K. Dobbins. I mean, these are guys who, to, to their credit, are, like, on our fantasy football teams in the NFL. So they've played some really, really good backs. Uh, you just have to wonder, you know, is that does it become mental at some point that the that Michigan players are almost like overthinking when they're playing Walker and and maybe that's not the case, but boy, it does seem to be a little bit of a pattern. And the tackling they set season high and missed tackles, according to Pro Football Focus, it was eleven, eight on Walker, so. That's that's a that's a fundamentals. That's that's the difference between Michigan being a good team this season and Michigan having a great season. And that probably more likely than not was defined on Saturday. Uh, the other the other big concern on, on the defensive side of things was the, the substitutions. That's what everyone wants to talk about. You know, Michigan State went tempo a couple times and caught Michigan completely off guard and mismatched. And, and we got to talk to, we got to hear from Mike Morris today, uh, Jim Harbaugh. And it sounds like, sounds like defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald is big, big, big on personnel matchups. You know, if, if Michigan state has two tight ends in the field, they have a, they have their Michigan has their response in terms of personnel. If they have, uh, you know, a, a kind of like a six offensive lineman set, they have guys that come in. If it's, four wide receivers, you know, they, 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 they're really big on the specialization the Wolverines are and, and which kind of makes sense. Cause I, I think they're still a little bit in transition personnel wise. They don't have quite enough linebackers, you know, they're outside linebackers, their edge guys are uh, a lot of them are defensive end shaped, but sometimes they will be pushed into coverage. Like, you know, I think Mike Morris and 
and Aiden Hutchinson are two guys you probably don't want to see in coverage if you can help it. You know, maybe a J- David Ajabo, Jalen Harrell are two guys who could. But, you know, they're kind of in a tweener year from a personnel standpoint. So I get the effort for specialization. But this was not the first time it's, it's been slightly concerning for the Wolverines. I think if memory serves the Nebraska game, there was a lot, a lot of guys at the last possible second you know, sprinting onto the field, which you can get away with a few times, but, but one, you are exhausting energy when you could just have your, your guys stay put instead of jogging, you know, 25, 30 yards into their defensive line position Two, you're keeping things calmer by not frantically substituting. And then three, I guess you're letting guys get into a rhythm if you don't substitute. So Steve, this was obviously a big deal. They had five defensive penalties, and I believe two or at least two or three of them were just purely su- substituting too late. That's, um, you know, it was costly. It was costly whether it was allowing a bigger play than they needed to because guys were getting on the field late or straight up in a penalty situation. I think it was natural for Mike McDonald to show a little weakness at some point this season as a defensive coordinator. And this seems to be maybe the thing that, that he's going to have to work on is whether it's substituting less substituting smarter, maybe being a little bit less dependent on personnel matchups. Cause you know, we, we asked Mike Morris today about um, you know, what happens if they don't have the right personnel. And he said, just got to play, just got to play football. And I guess my response there would be, Maybe do that more, and then you're substituting a little less. Steve, what, what do you think about these defensive substitutions, the issues that have been caused, and maybe maybe what you would think, if you're being the armchair coach, might be the smart move for Michigan to do moving forward? It's definitely going to be an area, again, like uh, slowing down the run. I think tempo is something Michigan I – I suspect Michigan will see more tempo going forward. Why wouldn't you, you know, this is like you said, this is not a, this is actually sort of like the red zone issues offensively. This is something that has kind of been there at other points in the season and hasn't, hadn't quite cost them yet. Uh, But it, it definitely, like I said, it literally led to at least 14 points. I don't remember all the other situations in the game where they were rushing guys onto the field and, and what happened, but you know, two of the touchdown runs by Walker were on those plays. And, you know, Michigan, it just, it looks sloppy when you're watching it live, you know, to see guys scrambling onto the field while the off- the opposing offense is already set, has, has already gotten back to the line and is set. You know, I got to think Michigan State's saying, thanks, like, we'll do this all day you know, if you guys are going to keep moving guys in and out. So it's definitely got to be, a, it's got to be a point of emphasis going forward for sure, because it did. I think it cost them more than any single factor in this game. I think it's what cost them um, because it just, it, it, how can you can't even play defense when you're not ready. It, it throws everything else off. Whether you're a guy that was staying on the field and was set and ready to go, doesn't matter. I mean, there's 11 guys out there for a reason. So yeah, how they fix it, you know, you're right, though. It is a little bit of a tweener year personnel-wise, but they do have a lot of guys who have 
who have gained a lot of experience this season. So I, I think in some situations you maybe got to roll a little bit stronger with maybe some of the guys who are out there in a certain series. So, you know, again, I'm not privy to these meetings. I don't know what exactly they will do to fix it. I just, it's, it's definitely got to be a point of emphasis. And I, I suspect, I think you'd hope that it's not something you're going to see again. If you're Michigan, a Michigan fan watching the game, you've got to like, you know, this is something that's got to get fixed uh, completely. It cannot be a, a gradual fix like this, the, some kind of system or something, you know, to, right. to better. Cause you, you you're going to start costing yourself timeouts and like then, cause I, I, I think whether state scored or not on those two plays in particular, I think at the very least Michigan state is rushing out there to at least maybe force Michigan to use one of their timeouts. You know, that's like their best case scenario or worst case scenario. Michigan has to use one of their timeouts. Best case is there's only nine guys ready and we can, you know, we could take the ball down the field and, and get a free play with the penalty. I mean, there's so many different uh, pitfalls in the way that Michigan was, was operating in that, in that regard. So we'll see. I, I don't know what you do to fix it. I, I, I think there's enough personnel though, like I said, that have gotten playing experience to maybe let these guys play a full series. Or if you te- see a team start to go to tempo, then, you know, okay, right. I'm, I'm out here for the long haul. This is this drive. We got to suck it up. I mean, these guys spend all off season conditioning and getting into shape. I mean, you know, it's not too much to ask a guy to stay out there for, you know, like Morris said, you got to just play. So Interesting, but yeah, like you said, it's something that it did. It kind of caught up to him in this game. Right, and and I will say one thing Michigan State does that I don't think other teams do, and part of this is a credit to Walker and, and their passing game. They aren't as predictable. Like a standard passing down or a standard rushing down, they are viable to do something different. So, like, you know, I think the classic example – of, of, of personnel rotations that I like for Michigan to do is the NASCAR package on third down. You know, suddenly you have um, Mike Morris, and I'm trying to think, you have Ajabo, Hutchinson, Morris, and then I'm trying to think who the fourth guy is. That's like their standard pass rushing down guy. It might be Mozzie Smith. I wondered if it was maybe someone lighter, uh, maybe Upshaw. So, something like that, where it's you know kind of like four defensive ends out there instead of big tackles. But but we saw, I mean, Michigan State on fourth and one, twice, you know, big passing plays downfield. On uh, some of those third longs, they did give the ball to Walker, and he made plays. So it's so one thing that Michigan State does that other non-Ohio State teams don't do as quite as much of is that they are pretty good at being unpredictable offensively. But to you your point okay if they're catching you off guard a little bit just keep chris hinton out there the whole game he's he's talented enough to stop the run and get after the quarterback mozzie smith same deal aiden hutchinson you know josh ross nikai hill green i mean they have they have like eight or nine ten or maybe maybe ten guys that can probably play in any sort of down at at starter level and so i i to me, it seems like an overthink. Like, oh, should we go Jordan Whitley or Mike Morris or Jalen Harrell here? And it's like, just go with the best player. Ajabo and Hutchinson lead the Big Ten in sacks. Both of them do. You know, the safeties have been, for the most part, pretty good all season. 
the linebackers. I guess that's the one area where you start to wonder, like, is this a junior Colson snap or a, a Jalen Harrell snap or a Mikai Hill green snap, but who's been playing the best in practice? Who's, who do you trust to, to be versatile? I, yeah, I think, think that could be chalked up as a, as a misfire by Michigan's new defensive staff. You know, they think they like the specialization, especially since they don't have a ton of like, I think when I think of like outside linebacker, you almost think a job is a little too big, at least to like play all the roles of outside linebacker. And then junior Colson's like a little too small. And so I think they're looking for people in the, in the recruiting world and maybe in the transfer portal moving forward that are kind of in between those two sizes for that kind of Sam second edge defender type role. Anyways, that's a very small specific example. Yeah. It just felt like an overthink and felt like a mistake. And I think we're going to learn a lot about this defensive coaching staff's philosophy in terms of, do they stick with what they know? Do they stick with what they've taught? kind of have a little bit of stubbornness or do they scrap it and, and try to find something else that works? Cause I think they'll, the defense will have a good opportunity against Indiana. I don't know their quarterback's health status, but that should be a game where the defense can, if they want to try a different rotation setup, they probably can Penn state. Not so much. You got, you got to go into Penn state knowing what your plan is a little bit. Um, other defensive concerns, I actually came away relatively not, not, I guess, I, we'll see how the defensive backs officially grade out in my grades, but I didn't think that was a big deal. That was a big concern point for me entering the game. I know they had, there was the 40-yard and the 28-yard pass plays on fourth downs. The rest of the game, they only had 130-ish passing yards. I mean, I, I thought it was actually – a fairly good game and of those of those uh 17 other completions a lot of them were behind the line of scrimmage or behind the five yard downfield line what did you think of the of the past defense this was something that we had kind of circled and be just because of how the 2020 matchup went i actually thought the 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 cover the secondary pass coverage i thought michigan mostly did its job there you know think up front they they had they had thorn running quite a bit I think 23 overall quarterback pressures on 38 snaps and ultimately just 19 completions on 38 snaps now um, decently high completion percentage but I don't know I thought the group kind of did its job other than those two plays any 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 additional thoughts there or anywhere else on Michigan's defense yeah and then you're talking about the shoestring catch the fourth down heave both fourth down plays both of which were particularly the the second one was not a badly defended pass play. It was just a perfect throw. Yeah. The first uh, one was just a straight up miss. Right. Defense, right. But. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, Michigan state, if it wasn't for Jaden Reed making a few insanely difficult catches, you know, their pass offense was really just, not much of a factor in this game. You know, it just happened to be though they were all on third and fourth down plays, uh, you know, where, where they made their, where they got their stuff. So no, I thought Michigan's pass defense was fine for the most part. Um, again, no part of their game 
on Saturday was perfect, but it, it might've been one of the strengths for sure. Passing offense and passing defense, which again, if you'd, you know, you thought that'd be enough. If you said those two parts of the two units, I guess, or two, two facets were, were Michigan strengths in that game on the road. You, you thought they'd get the W out of it, but you know, I, I, now, I mean, DJ Turner, I thought, you know, thought that was a weak pass interference call on him on that one, on the, that out route in the third quarter. You know, I thought he played a pretty good game. He almost made the play on the two-point conversion. Um, but no, overall, you know, it's like the, the, the one shoestring catch that got reviewed. It's like, no, like perfect coverage by Gray. Just a, actually a, a situation where a poorly thrown ball uh, ended up being – you know, ended up being a huge benefit for Michigan State. If that ball's thrown where he was likely trying to throw it to, Gray maybe would have had a chance to even make an interception-type play on it. I mean, he was right in Reed's uh, pocket. So, yeah, no, I thought the defensive backs played really well. They played the stuff, you know, when State did try to go to the edge, thought Michigan was really effective in slowing that down. I still think that's going to be big for them. That's one thing Ohio State has always liked to do is test those edges behind the line of scrimmage because they have superior athletes out there that can make plays. I think Michigan has played those bubble screens for the most part this season have played them about as well as you can play them. So that's one thing I've been kind of keeping in my back pocket about that game. Just think Michigan's done a really good job there and they did a good job of it on Saturday. So yeah, it really came down to the sub stuff and, and not being able to slow Walker down way, way less than it was about anything Michigan State did in the passing game. Yep. Yep. Mostly, mostly agree. I, I do think the fourth down, fourth down calls, and then the two point conversions. Those are those are a couple plays that, well, it's another defining. Those are defining moments of a of a game and a season. And and Michigan went uh, 0 for four on those four plays. Michigan State got what it wanted on all four plays. If those don't happen, Michigan's winning this game by double digits. So similar to the red zone opportunities, leaving points on the field, I guess Michigan's defense was not keeping enough points on the field, so to speak. So, um, but ultimately, I, I like I think Michigan has improved on on limiting the deep deep passes, and it might let up more completions than maybe they did under under the previous coaching regime, but but maybe a few less big plays in the passing game. Okay. My, my only final thought on this is and there'll be a story that will probably flesh this out better than I will in a podcast. I think this week will, will be very, very compelling to watch until I kind of hear the press conferences and how, how they look on Saturday, not just whether they win, but how they look because I think before the game, one thought I had is I think Jim Harbaugh finally, as dumb as it sounds, fans can roll their eyes, finally has the gritty football-loving team that I think he needs to coach. I don't think he's someone that's going to be an effective coach with every team that he touches. Some coaches are like that. I think he needs players who played, well, kind of like he did. I mean, he was he was always known as kind of a gritty, hard-nosed, football junkie type of player. And so I think those are the players he needs to be able to coach. I think he got those kind of teams in, at Stanford and in San Francisco. I think he kind of had that team in 2016. But 
really, I think this is, I think he finally has the culture, the intangibles, the work ethic. I mean, this is, this is multiple years of recruiting classes that he's been trying to put this together. And you know, he, he's basically said in press conferences, he did not have that last year. He is, he's not someone who likes to compare or talk bad about former players. He kind of threw last year's team under the bus in that they didn't really love football as much as he'd hoped. They didn't have the grit that he had hoped. And, and, you know, some of that's on him and the coaches being more positive this season, but I think there's been legitimate strides in the, um, in the culture. And then also just kind of the mental makeup of the team. Easy, much easier to say though, when they're seven and oh, than when they're seven and one. So to me, I think this week is going to be very interesting to see, you know, is there finger pointing? Is there overconfidence? Is that, you know, do they dismiss the loss or do they really go back to that underdog mentality that was working for them in wins at Wisconsin and at Nebraska? So Steve, I, I guess, I don't know where you fall on this, but I, my, my general point here is that I think the culture definitely felt right heading into the Michigan state game. Now I think it's going to be really tested. I, I, I liked Andrew Vistardis's comments after the game in a press conference where nobody said more than two sentences. I, I asked him, you know, what, what is your confidence level that this team can stick together? And he said, well, we've all been through it. We all, we all have seen what happens when losses pile up and why that happens and how that happens. You know, none of us want to see that again. So I'm very interested. I, I, I don't have a prediction because I think it, they're going to have to show it four weeks in a row, but I'm curious about the determination and the, the grit and, and kind of how that parlays into understanding that there is still a path, I guess, you know, the season isn't over after one loss. I get where fans feel like it's over because Ohio state looks, you know, that, that hard to predict Michigan to beat Ohio state ever, uh, let alone the way the Buckeyes have been playing this season. But what do you think of the culture, the grit, the positivity that was surrounding the team and how much that will be tested in this, this, I guess, this week, but then also next week heading into the Penn State game? Right. I think it's sort of the, the million-dollar question here. I, I don't know. I mean, I've said this. I think we've, we've believed that this team just – it does – record aside and the, the, the more success aside uh, – this team feels like a totally different team than last year's team does really maybe even the, the 2019 team too, you know, it does feel more cohesive. I think there's a better, much, much, much better chance that they rally can rally around this uh, than, than maybe years past. So, but got to show it. The thing is they could still rally around this and still lose in two weeks of happy Valley. I mean, it's not, not an easy place to win Penn state looked a lot better against Ohio state than I think people thought they would. And, uh, you know, that's always kind of a contentious game, you know, between two teams that really don't, don't think care for each other that much. So, you know, it, it, it's just a matter of, can they just, can Michigan break that mold? Cause this is, it's, it feels very deja vu. You know, it's like the, the, the calendar turns to November and Michigan can't seem to get the job done you know, when it matters most. And uh, so it's, it's a matter of both, can they rally around it? But, but even if they do rally around it, 
does it result in any bit of a different outcome? Because it just, you know, that, that, that thought is starting to settle in with the, the majority of the fan base of, well, here's another nine and three type deal, which if you said that before the season, Michigan was going to go nine and three, I think most people would have taken it. That's what I predicted at the beginning of the season in the big, I think Scott Bell did the big media roundup thing. I was the only one that picked him to go nine and three. Everyone else had him at eight and four or lower. So I, you know, clearly my prediction was on the high end, but I think now within the context of the season, nine and three would be a disappointment because of what they have in front of them. So yeah, this has been a wacky year in college football, Michigan. They have everything in front of them still, honestly, I, I don't want to keep counting out or I keep, uh, downplaying Michigan state, but they still have to play Penn state and they still have to play Ohio state. They go on the road to Purdue. We'll see which Purdue team shows up in that game. You know, they, they are not a lock to go even two and one, in my opinion, I think you could easily lose two of those three games, you know, and, and again, singles for Michigan, but Michigan still has control over all of their situation. And, uh, you know, it's a matter of can you turn a loss versus a bitter rival and a loss that really could have gone either way? Can you turn it into a learning experience and not a, you know, a, a death sentence for your season and, and dwell on it? Because we saw, I don't know if it's really what happened, but it felt like, and I and we already didn't see that today, but when Michigan beat Nebraska, it really felt like Michigan beat Nebraska twice because Nebraska players and coaches continue to talk about that game after the, like the next week going into, I can't remember if it was Minnesota or whoever they played the next week, you know, cause there are, there are situations where a team can beat you twice. And uh, I don't think Michigan's in any, in, in much danger versus Indiana on Saturday, but Indiana's also played like six top 10 teams or something. I mean, they, they talk about a team that's been tested, you know, they're going to give Michigan a, uh, their best shot and, and are not somebody to be taken lightly. So I do think we'll see some sort of, you know, we'll know how Michigan responds based on the way this game goes, you know, so it is, it's just a matter of not letting a, a devastating loss cripple, you know, a season that really realistically could still be special. And again, I'm not, we're not picking Michigan to beat Ohio state right now. I weirdly think I weirdly think Michigan has a better shot in that game now than I would than I did before Saturday honestly Uh, again I'm not picking them but you know Ohio State has looked relatively human when not playing the bottom tiers tier teams in the conference so you know and then Michigan like I said being able to throw the ball a little bit better you know maybe could have some success there but either way it's about not letting this uh, you know push you into a situation where maybe we've seen Michigan teams in the past have have folded a little bit after a tough loss. Yeah. I think one thing that helps Michigan as well, and I, I, they're, they're just healthier. I mean, last season when they didn't get up off the mat, injuries started piling up in 2019. I think they were more injured than even necessarily the injury report suggested, but, but there were, you know, key players just banged up unable to play um you know some years i mean the injuries i think can play a double effect and that that hurts the team's confidence and and you have players that are 
asked on on the fly to play new roles, things like that. Uh, Michigan's pretty darn healthy heading into the final four games. The other thing I, I do think just like the, the positivity and then also like the players that are the key players right now were not, I think by and large, especially on offense, it was not guys who were handed everything. You know, I mean, think about Hassan Haskins. Um, I mean, he was, I think he was technically a three-star, but kind of a very much an overlooked recruit. Cade McNamara, people keep talking about him like he's a walk-on. You know, just the way like they they're, they like completely forget that he was a four-star, but but you know, he wasn't the six-foot-five uh, recruiting camp MVP. You know, he wasn't one of those kind of recruits. I mean, he was someone with uh, who came into Michigan with a lot to prove. I think you can go in a few positions on Michigan's team. It's it's guys who have either were part of a, a rough season last year and kind of hungry to bounce back, or guys who were over overlooked before they became starters. And then on defense, you know, Aiden Hutchinson and, and to a lesser extent, Josh Ross, two guys who came back when it wasn't obvious that they were going to come back. And it's personal to them. They, they, you know, they grew up Michigan fans. They have family members who played for Michigan. So those are, those are a few things that make me think that this team could bounce back. But I, I totally agree with you. They bounced back in 2015 after the loss to Michigan State. Still got blown out by Ohio State. They bounced back in 2018 after the loss to Notre Dame. Won 10 straight games. Still got blown out by, by Ohio State. You know, in, in 2019, they bounced back a little bit, right? They, they lost to Penn State, but then they beat Notre Dame. They beat Michigan State. They beat Indiana. All pretty convincingly. And still got blown out by Ohio State. So to me, this is the this is the just the objective reporter view. I think winning at Penn State, getting to 10 wins, I think that still counts as a good season for Michigan. It doesn't have to count as a success to you, but but in terms of what would count as an effective bounce back, yeah, I think. I think there's a possibility there just with the makeup of the team, but, but it's going to be, it's going to be tested. And I think the one thing that's going to be really tested is some of the flaws on Saturday. Do they continue? Are they bad habits? Are they harder to break? Or does Michigan come out and, and try some different things against Indiana? That will be something to watch. Anyways, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Check out all of our stories over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. Lots to come from, from this week's press conference. Uh, and then we'll have an Indiana podcast preview in just a couple days. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the a new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.